Turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22, beginning to read at verse 15. Excuse my voice, my throat. God willing, I'll be okay. (coughs) Verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God. In truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose image, whose is this image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. That's just by in a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we do thank you. Thank you, Father, for the freedom to come here to sit under this roof and under your word. Thank you, Lord, for the singing. We can lift our voices and our hearts unto thee, Lord, to pray and, and seek your face, Father. We thank you for this new and living way, which is through the blood of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for the songs of Zion and all that's gone before. But now, Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would shut each and every one of us in with yourself, Lord, and speak to every person in this place this evening. Instruct us and teach us, Lord, and help us and guide us. Direct us, Lord, and help us, Lord, to have, Lord, hearts that are open to receive the engrafted word. We ask you, Lord, this evening, if there is one that's here who knows not your Son, the Lord Jesus, as their personal Savior. We ask you, Lord, to speak to them and to deal with them. And we'll be careful to give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Last week, and on the imperialism of Christianity and the cult of Caesar, we took the same reading and we see how the, these Pharisees, they came to the Lord Jesus with a wickedness in their heart to twisting to try and turn his words into things that he did not say. Try and trick him. They come with the Herodians. We told you last week, especially the Herodians and also many of the Pharisees, but the Herodians, they were, uh, they were the footmen of Herod, Herod, that puppet king of the Caesars. And of course, Herod, he was a, a wicked man. And the Herodians Coming from the same background as Herod, he was an Edomite. He was not an Israelite or a Judahite. Herod was an Edomite who turned to Jewry and took on the Jews' religion. They come to try and twist the Lord Jesus' words. And so he is asked a question in our reading. Let's look at our reading and verse 17. They ask him, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not. And we're told that Jesus sees the wickedness of their hearts. And the Lord Jesus, he 
gets a penny and he says in verse 20, he saith unto them, whose image and whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things which are God's. So in other words, the Lord was saying, if Caesar is your God, then you live by Caesar. If Caesar is your God, Caesar or the cult of Caesar was Caesar claiming to be God on earth. And the imperialism of Rome was going throughout what was then the wide and vastly known earth from Hadrian's Wall even almost as far as India, North Africa and of course Europe and the Mediterranean area taking in Canaan land or the land of Palestine. And the Lord Jesus says, if he, under your choice, if he, under your own decision, if Caesar is your God, then render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But if God is your God, that is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the one true living God, if he is your God, then bow the knee and render unto God the things which are God's. The imperial Roman Empire was very powerful. We'll look at it in a little moment. But let me run you past again what imperial means. Imperial is something pertaining to the nature of an empire or the emperor or the sovereign or the supreme one in that empire. Imperial is the name of the sovereign over that empire. Imperialism is the power or the authority of the emperor. It is also the spirit of the empire and belief in the policy of extending that empire. In other words, world hegemony. In other words, world dominion and world dominance. We told you last week that the Caesars being called God on earth, they were called the Son of God. They took many august titles that belonged to Almighty God alone. We also showed you last week from Daniel chapter 2. We can turn to it if you have your Bible with you. Please turn to Daniel chapter 2. And Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon has a dream. I'm sorry if I seem to be rushing through this. This is just a little run-in to where we want to go this evening. But you see, what had happened was from the days of Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10. Nimrod is the story where he builds a tower onto heaven, as it were. And he gets the people with one voice, with one language, with one economic system, with one ecclesiastical system. And he brings them all together. Many peoples gathers them around to a focal point of spiritual worship. And of course, Almighty God sees it. He comes down and he destroys the Tower of Babel and he scatters the people. Now, further down in time, we have Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, around the same region of where, of course, Nimrod had built his tower and God had destroyed it. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he dreams a dream where he sees the figure of a man with his head being gold. His arms and his body of silver, his midriff and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron and his feet of iron and of clay. 
Daniel interprets the dream for the king. And verse 32 of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says these words to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. Notice his legs of iron and his feet part of iron and part of clay. Now there is the great image that Nebuchadnezzar had seen. Notice what Daniel says then in verse 34. Thou sawest, or he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you were seeing this. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces. Notice the word, together. Now these are different kingdoms at different times, yet it's all through each other. They are broken together. The mystery religions from Nimrod into Babylon, into Medo-Persia, into uh, the Grecian Empire, now into pagan Rome where the Caesars are, where we are in our reading, and right into the feet of iron and clay. They have the same trait, they're broken together. So they're not different and separate in the sense from their religion. The mystery occult religion ran right through time. And it's even really now in our very world this evening. So notice what Daniel says. Then were they broken together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Notice this, thou, O king, art a a king of kings. Now, notice the title in Babylon. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field, the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thine hands, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So the gold of the head of gold of the, of the, of the dream was the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel says, thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Notice that as strong as iron for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with merry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with merry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Notice that. But they shall not cleave or be united 
cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. I notice what Daniel is saying. He's saying there's going to come different succession of kingdoms. We told you last week, thou art this head of gold is Babylon. The Medes and the Persians came in Daniel chapter 5. You'll read of the last Babylonian king in Belshazzar's feast. That night Darius, or Darius, however you want to pronounce his name, he came of the Medes and the Persians and he put off uh, Belshazzar off his throne. And of course he was then, he was killed then after that. The Medes and the Persians was a silver kingdom. And then after that again came Alexander the Great of the great Grecian Empire. Going right over as far as India. And of course then after that was the brass kingdom. And then the iron arisen was the Roman Caesars and the great Roman Empire. Strong. And it was separated in its own history into two. Into two. One in Constantinople which was Istanbul and the other over in Rome itself. So here was Bible prophecy that came true. Hundreds of years later in the Roman Empire. It was a vicious empire. And it was to gather men and women of every nationality, color and kindred. And bring them under the unification. Again as Nimrod had done away in Genesis chapter 10. Away as even Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. When he set up a golden image to worship And all had to bow to the worshipful image. Except for, of course, we read Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and so on would not bow to the image. So here we have the Caesars and they're sitting, gathering together a one world or a new world order. A one world government which would be political. They had the Roman Senate. It would be ecclesiastical. Caesar was worshipped as God. And of course this kingdom would come in many different shapes and forms and in senses and ways. Where they would have a spiritual tie where Caesar would be worshipped. And you could worship other things but Caesar must take pride of place. We looked last week at 1 Corinthians 8 verses 5 and 6 when the Apostle Paul says, For though there be that are called gods, small g, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, capital G, there is but one God the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. The Apostle Paul was literally telling the Corinthians, That Caesar is not God. He is not to be worshipped. He claimed to be God on earth. God manifest in the flesh. He claimed to be the son of God. And many other august titles. And here Paul says he is not. And this would mean Paul literally. As he ended up doing. Putting his head on the chopping block. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas says when he seen the resurrected Lord. My Lord and my God. Or in other words, O the Lord of me, and O the God of me. Thomas was saying that you're my Lord, and you're my God, Jesus, and no one else. So let's move on to uh, something else. 1 Peter 2 and 25. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. 
We're going to really bring you through this week and uh, in two weeks' time we'll do part three. And we're going to really bring you up to date on these things. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. Notice what Peter says and he's writing here initially to uh, is scattered Israel. He says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Friend, the, the word bishop here is the word overseer. It was another title that was claimed by the Caesar of Rome. And what Peter was saying was, Now that you're throughout the countries of Europe, now that Romanism as in the the, the very uh, ethics, the very power and the authority of the Roman imperial empire is calling men and women together to sit under Caesar as their Lord and their God, he says, there is one shepherd and there is one overseer of your soul. And he tells him, of course, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the overseer uh, uh, in Rome, what they done was they had uh, legates, they had men who sat in towns and in villages and in Roman cities throughout the empire. They were the ears and the eyes of Rome and they reported back to the Caesar. And so he feels like he's got his eyes everywhere as though he's God on earth. And they come back and report unto him again. He was the overseer of the empire. But here we're told that Christ and Christ alone is the shepherd and the bishop or the overseer of all of our souls. When this was mentioned in the days of our Lord and of Paul and of Peter, to say that anyone else but Caesar was the overseer of their soul or the overseer of anything, it was a direct challenge to the imperialistic powers of Rome and of Caesar in particular. This was known as the cult of Caesar. Let me show you another one as we move quickly on. Another title given to and taken by their emperor was the title Basilius. It's actually spelled B-A-S-I-L-E-U-S for anglicized spelling. And it means king. They called him their king. What was it that Daniel said in Daniel 2 to Nebuchadnezzar? He says, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the king of kings. But he was only a king who ruled over kings because the God of heaven had a plan and a purpose throughout eternity for him to take that place. In other words, there is a son of perdition and God has a plan and a purpose to draw his own out of these systems of worship and of praise on these bodies that are not of God. And God uses them for his honor and his glory. For Satan is God's ape. And the ape will do what God doth say. Now here we have Basilius meaning king of kings. Turn with me please to Revelation chapter 19. Here we have the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19. And let your eye run down, please, to verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness 
he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. Hallelujah. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth went a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Here we have Caesar saying, I am God on earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But Jesus is returning and great Babylon will fall and Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem, king over all. Christ is coming and he will smash this system that still remains this very evening, this very hour. Praise his lovely and holy name. Basilius was a title of a Roman emperor. These names have been carried down, brothers and sisters. I'm going to show you this by next week. You don't want to miss it. These names have been carried right down. We're going to look at how it's divided even this very night. And it's still alive and well. But Christ is returning to smash it all again. So the word Basilius. Here's the thing. In John chapter 19 and in verse 12, (coughs) we have where our Lord is being tried by Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate brings our Lord out to a Jewish rabble. And he brings them out and he says, Whom will ye that I should release unto you? And after much uh, trial and testing of our Lord that night, he finds no fault in him. And we're told that the, the, the Jewish crowd cries, stirred up by these Pharisees. And they cried, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Note the word friend. If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. But then we're told that they say, whosoever maketh himself a king is not or speaketh against Caesar. And here they're saying Christ makes himself a king. He is taking the place of Caesar. In fact, Caesar was the Antichrist sitting in Rome. Caesar took the worship and the praise and the adulation and the adoration that only Christ alone deserves. And here we have a little Roman man standing whose breath is in his nostrils before the King of Kings and the Savior of mankind. And he says, they're saying he is a king and they're saying he's taking the place of Caesar. But rather Caesar took the place of Christ. And it's still happening in this very day and age. Where a man is sitting on a throne. Taking the place, the worship and the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have the word king here. Pilate comes out in verse 14. And he cries, behold your king. And listen to what they cry in verse 15. We have no king but Caesar. These are the same men who says, tell me, should we pay tribute or taxes on the Caesar or not? You tell me, for Christ had a says, don't pay it. He was making their mind up and they would tie him. 
They would say, you're telling us not to worship Caesar. But sure they were. They were the Jewish churchmen of the day. There's many churchmen of today and they're still worshiping the cult of Caesar. They're still there. They're still going in and they're Protestant ministers too. And here we have them saying, you listen to us. If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Brothers and sisters, I hope by the end of this we will be awakened to the apostasy that's happening in our land and around the world. Here they say we have no king but Caesar. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. What about you, friend? What takes the place of Christ in your life? What's stopping you from coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What about you? Here's another one. The Caesar also had a title. And the title was Soter. S-O-T-E-R. You know what it means? Savior. Savior. As if he could forgive the sins of men and save their souls. Come under my teaching. Come under me and I'll save you. Soter. At least eight of the Roman Caesars carried and claimed the title Savior of the World. Now that's a known historical fact. At least eight of them carried the title Savior of the World. Tell you why they took that title. They built roads across Europe where Europe is today. They built roads across Europe. They built great fortifications. They built cities. And they were marvelous at doing it. We can't take it away from them. But as they built these great structures, commerce started to flourish in places that would never flourish before. Sounds like European Union, doesn't it? Because it is the European Union. That's why we're going to get there next week. I'm trying to get there before I get there. So I'm getting excited about it. And they built structures and roadways for commerce. And the people went to and fro. They were able to barter and buy and sell. Just like Europe today. They were to bring them all in under one ecclesiastical body in Rome. They brought them in into one commercial enterprise as like the European Union. And here they drew men and women in. And commerce was flourishing. And Caesar says that he claimed, he says, I am the saviour of the world. I'm the one who's blessed the people. And eight of them claimed to be the saviour of the world. Listen to Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour. Hallelujah. A saviour who is Christ the Lord. Who is the anointed of Yahweh. It is. Listen again in John's gospel chapter 4 and verse 42. Verse 42. We have the story where our Lord must needs go through Samaria. And he meets a woman of ill repute. And the woman comes out during the heat of the day. Because she's, she's ashamed to go. Because she's had such a lifestyle behind her. Praise God when you meet Jesus. It's all forgiven. It's all forgotten. Amen. Praise his holy name. And the Lord comes and speaks to her about living water. Which would flow from her belly. Speaking of the Holy Ghost which would be given her. And he tells this woman of her lifestyle. Before she even has a chance to speak it out. 
And she runs into the village and she cries to those whom she was ashamed to be seen among. And she says, she says, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And the people run out to see him. And they gather around him and he teaches them things concerning the kingdom of God. And we're told that the people, the Samaritan people or the people in that area living there. And John 4 and 42 says, we have heard him ourselves. Hallelujah. Isn't it great for the first time in your life? You know that then our brother, sister, when you get saved, when you heard the voice of the good shepherd and you followed him and you heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and he called you unto salvation. Isn't it great that first time when your heart burned within you, when you heard the voice of Christ? We're told they said, we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You know what that meant? If Caesar heard it, he would go down and wipe out their village. Understand why these things were being said. Understand what it took for men and women to say, oh, it's Christ for me. And now it's when you come, when you come, when you come, let us coax you, let us barter with you, let us argue with you. When you come to Jesus, let's sell him off and barter for him. Friend, if you want to get saved, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Savior. We don't auction him off. Here we have him as the Savior and the only one. Here's another time, time's flying. Another term And another name which was used by the Roman Caesars was Pontifex Maximus. I'm sure we all recognize that one. That's one of the more popular, well, in brackets, you know, that's one of the most well-known ones. And Pontifex Maximus simply means high priest. High priest. But it also means the road to God. The road to God or bridge builder. As he's the reconciler of God and men. This name, Pontifex Maximus, it's a satanic name. Let me show you. Turn to the book of Revelation, please. Excuse my voice. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Let's write on down to verse 12. And to the angel of the church, Jesus writes the letter. In Pergamos, notice the place, write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. It's in Pergamos. Now, now note that. Note that. Even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Pergamos was known as Satan's seat. Whenever we have Belshazzar and his feast, around that time the priests and some princes were told of Babylon escaped the Medo-Persian, you know the silver kingdom, escaped the, 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 the onslaught of the silver kingdom. And they ran across country and they came to Pergamos. And they brought the mystery religions of Babylon with them. And they came from their occultic and pagan charms. And they sat again and they built up a stronghold in Pergamos. And Pergamos became known as Satan's seat. 
Now, Attalus III, Attalus III, when he was dying, he bequeathed his title and all that he had in Pergamos onto the Caesars in Rome. And his name, sitting in Satan's seat, was Pontifex Maximus. So the Caesars took the, from the seat of Satan, he, they took the name Pontifex Maximus and they said, I am God on earth and I am a bridge builder between God and man. Yet the scriptures plainly tell us, Paul writes to young Timothy, he says, for there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So he was not a road to God either. Jesus says in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way. Why do you think Jesus said those things? I think he said them off the cuff. I think it was just a matter of, well, here's a nice way thought. I'm the way. No, no, friend. Caesar is saying, I'm the road to God. And Christ Jesus stands up and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Friend, how are you? How are you going to get to the kingdom of God? How are you going to be forgiven but through the blood of Jesus? There's no other way. And Zechariah 6 and 13 tells us of this high priest. Zechariah 6 and 13 says that he shall rule as it were. He shall be a priest upon his throne. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the great high priest. The Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 tell us that Jesus is the great high priest who has passed into the heavens, right into the presence of the Father, Almighty God. And we're saying we are not come with a, to a great high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. As the hymn writer says, there for me the Savior stands, he shows his wounds and spreads his hands. And God is love, I know I feel that Jesus lives and loves me still. Friend, no matter what background you're from, no matter what religion affiliation you're from, no matter what denomination you're crying out from, friend, only Christ can save your soul. Another one used by uh, the Caesar was Caesar's friends. Caesar had an elite group Caesar had a group that gathered around him and they were Caesar's friends. The cult of Caesar had what was known as legates. We'll look at that in a little minute. And friends of the emperor. If you will, turn with me to John chapter 15, please. John's gospel, chapter 15. This is a a big subject, as I said, and we're, we're trying to get through it the best we can this evening and we will need another evening John's gospel chapter 15 what happened was a friend of Caesar was someone he called friend and he found special who followed him to the tape who done his backing and call John's gospel chapter 15 the Lord Jesus says in verse 14 ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you he says to his disciples People say, oh, I'm a friend of Jesus. Are you serving him? 
Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, please. Luke chapter 22. The Lord Jesus speaks here of his kingdom, and this is a direct challenge to Caesar and his imperial kingdom. Verse 25. And he saith unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But it shall not be so. It shall not be so, but he that is great among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Let your eyes run down then to verse 29. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table, and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Here he is saying, there's position and there's place for those who are my friends. That was in direct opposition to the friendship that Caesar claimed. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Paul the Apostle speaks about uh, 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 the ambassadors of Christ. The word ambassadors here is the word presbio. Presbio means the emperor's legate, those who go and speak for the emperor. Those who go and speak for the emperor. Now then are we ambassadors of Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ that... Be ye reconciled to God. Know what he's saying? There is not a Caesar in Rome who can reconcile a man's soul. Be ye reconciled in Christ. Go and speak. You know what I am tonight? I'm an ambassador for Christ. Know what you are when you're witnessing and work? You're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what you are when you send someone a card with scripture upon it telling them, you know, Christ loves you and he died for you? You're an ambassador for Christ. And these legates were called ambassadors for Caesar. So you see now where they're saying, oh no, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God in all its fullness and glory will come when Christ returns again. Again, we'll, we have to uh, go a little further. The word... For good news or glad tidings is the gospel. The word used here is the word euagalion. And euagalion was used for the cult of Caesar for the announcing of a birth in the family. Or for the announcing of a birth of someone that was great in the senate. And the Caesars took it to announce birthdays. And they called it good news. Good news, there's another saviour in the world. It was also used for the ascension of Caesar to the throne. They called it the Euagallion as they proclaimed Caesar as Lord and God. Luke chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you. Notice good tidings of great joy, what shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know what they were proclaiming? They were proclaiming the good news that it's not another Savior. It's the only Savior that was born that day. Taking it from the Caesar of Rome. So, it gives you an idea what Christianity came into, to the imperialism of Rome. 
The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he says, I am ready to preach the gospel. Notice that. I'm ready to preach the good news. I'm ready to proclaim the ascension of Christ in the hearts of men and women. On the ascension of Christ into the heavens, risen from the dead. On the coming again on the ascension of Christ upon the throne of Jerusalem. Now you imagine getting into that where there's a Caesar proclaiming to be God, the road or the way to heaven, who says he's king of kings and saviour of the world. And little Paul walks in in the power of the Holy Ghost and says, there's only one saviour and his name is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Surprise you tonight. There's some men will say, you trust in our denomination. And you'll be saved. Friend, forget the nomination. Only Christ can satisfy. And only Jesus saves, friend. I am ready to preach the gospel that are at Rome. To you that are at Rome. For I am not ashamed, he says, of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, praise his name. So Paul was going to speak out. One more thing and I'm going to close. We'll do another one next week. Turn with me again to Daniel chapter 2. Here we have the setting up of these kingdoms in verse 44. We have, of course, coming up to it, the feet of iron and clay, which is still here today. Verse 44 says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. This was Israel. So the God of heaven set up a kingdom and it was the enemy of God's people, Babylon against Israel all the days. So the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never, here is his coming, here is his culmination of his kingdom and his fullness, where those who are born again will rule and reign with Christ. And notice what it says, it shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Will you be in that kingdom? Are you saved? Next week we're going to look at Daniel 7. I hope to get there tonight, but we've got way led in many ways. Daniel chapter 7 speaks of four beasts. Same kingdoms, but they're seen through different eyes. Iron teeth, ten horns, and a little horn comes out. You'll see papal Rome coming out from the, as, as a little horn. And you'll see the European Union as the feet upon the earth. And that woman rides the beast. So we have a lot to look forward to, haven't we? And I've asked our brother David Adams, he's going to put on the internet again. We've done the European Union and Bible prophecy a couple of years ago. And he's going to put it back up again in another week or two. And it'll coincide with the reading with these three. And instead of going all teaching on the European Union, its background, you can listen to it at your leisure. And you can listen to these ones and they will follow on more ecclesiastically. And it'll follow right down to this very night. I sure look at Europe now. It's already teetering and toppling and it doesn't know what way it's going. 
And there's Greece has borrowed so much money. France is panicking especially. The German people, they're sick of it. Germany is the engine room of Europe. And they're sick of it. They're having to bail out and bail out. Everybody is, but especially Germany. And we're told that when Christ returns, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And that's what we're looking for. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless his word to all of our hearts this evening. For his glory and for his honor. And for his namesake.